All right, well, good morning once again, church family. Um, as Pastor Brett mentioned uh, during his welcome this morning, we want to take a moment to just say Happy Mother's Day. Um, it is uh, just a, a joyful day to be able to give some attention to, uh, to the, the moms who are here and who are part of our church. You know, we definitely believe that uh, it is a, a, a task, it is a job that God gives and entrusts um, with our moms to uh, lead and pour into um, families and children in just a supernatural way, literally a supernatural way, uh, only powered um, by the giftings of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to take a moment just to acknowledge uh, that calling on the life of those in here. And so what I want to do is just take a moment, ask every, really every uh, female, if you would stand up this morning. And the reason we say everybody, that's yeah, right now, that'll be here, um, is because um, we have some in here, you've, you know, we may have some moms in here that have five kids or more. Um, I know that in here there are future moms, uh, maybe some of you who aren't yet old enough or who would love to have kids but haven't yet. Um, and I also know we have some in here, although you may not have, you know, biological children or children at all, that you have uh, been motherly um, towards many, and God has um, used you as a blessing, maybe to those without moms or uh, those without Christian moms. And so we want to take a moment to just recognize all the women who are in here this morning and, uh, and really just pray that God would continue to just bless you in that calling, which is so vital and so important to the family. One of the first instructions or commands that God gave was to be fruitful and multiply. Um, the first not good thing that God saw was that Adam was without uh, a counterpart um, to, to lead and do life with, and without which he could not have obeyed that initial command to be fruitful and to multiply um, and to entrust all that, that he has um, to, to give and pass down for generations to come. And so I want to just take a moment to pray for all of you um, and for all the men who are here. just encourage you to love on your, your wives, your moms, um, even your, your daughters, uh, instilling the desire and passion to, to, to be a mom one day as well, and, and let this day be a day that is reflecting of that. So let's, let's take a moment to pray together. God, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for our moms. Uh, we thank you that you knew we needed them, and that we would not be able to function properly uh, without them, not just to give life, but to to, to help sustain life and to um, just to, to do all that you've called and commanded and tasked them with, to give them a supernatural ability to, to handle so many different things. Um, God, we just are grateful and thankful, and I pray that every um, woman here would feel uh, just your hand and your presence on them in, a, in an encouraging way. I pray that um, they would know how much we love them, how much they mean, how important their role and task is as a mother. Um, and for those that are yet to be moms, God, I pray you would prepare them. Um, continue, Lord, to equip them. Um, and for those that have not uh, had their own children, God, I pray they would also just feel encouraged that you have still used them um, to be motherly and encourage others in a discipling fashion, um, all used for your kingdom. And so, God, we love you. Um, we're just so thankful uh, for them and for today and pray that, um, again, it would all just be, uh, one, an acknowledgement of them, but ultimately just an acknowledgement of your glory to know that they are so needed and to create them the way you have. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. And we just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
All right. Uh, well, good morning again. Um, we, uh, for those of you who didn't notice, I was not here uh, with you all last week. Uh, my family and I were uh, away visiting family, and we really enjoyed our time. And one of the things that we got to do while we were away is we got to spend a little bit of time with uh, Pastor Caleb and his family, with Casey and, uh, and their kids. And, and I just want to take a moment to say uh, how excited I am for our church. Um, Matt and I genuinely um, really, really love getting to spend time with them and just talk life and, and for our kids to play together and to talk ministry as well. And, um, and we just can't wait to, to be a part of the church. And although we won't be here um, physically, to, to continue to be a part of this church and all that God um, is, is doing. And so, um, and so I say that. Uh, the flip side of that is it's, it's fastly approaching. And so um, Matt and I will be here for uh, about f- for four more Sundays, including this Sunday. And so we are, and on top of that, missing last Sunday, um, I'm excited to share the word, uh, knowing that um, we only have a few more opportunities to do that together. And so I've got my big Bible here this morning, and we're going to dive deep into God's word, continuing the study that we've been in for, um, for several weeks now. We've been walking, uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been walking through Philippians, um, really verse by verse. And so far, we've um, seen... Um, and we've gone through chapter one, we're in chapter two now, and we've seen uh, really how God defines biblical relationships. We saw that um, in the first, first little section of, of chapter one. We saw what uh, biblical suffering looks like in the next little section there in chapter one. And then we saw what uh, biblical purpose looks like at the end. Um, and then last week, uh, Len shared what biblical humility looks like um, in the example of Christ as he kicked off chapter 2, and today we're going to continue in and finish Philippians chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, and I hope that you do, um, please go ahead and open those to Philippians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 2 for the entirety of our time together. Um, if you don't have one, there's one to see back here in front of you, um, and you can also follow along on the screen. But I encourage you to have that physical copy in front of you um, just to follow along, because literally we're going to go verse 12, verse 13, verse 14. Um, all the way down through our text today. Um, And so we are going to read a big chunk, um, verses 12 through 30. Uh, We won't be, I'll be teaching on all of those verses, and I'll kind of explain why in just a moment. Um, But we'll be primarily focusing on verses 12 through through 18. Um, But let's go ahead and read those together. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work, according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. In verse 19, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would, have, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Let's pray over the preaching and teaching of God's word. God, we love you, and um, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you. Uh, This morning, specifically for uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30, knowing that they are are life. They are your words, your very breath, your presence. Um, And so when we read them, it's it's not just, they're not just words on a page that we've recited out loud, but they're your very breath breathed out and spoken over us today, that we might be drawn closer to you, that we might escape death and find life in you. And I pray that we would treat them as such this morning. Um, I pray that uh, you would just open our hearts to, to receive, to hear clearly, uh, that you would keep myself from any, any f- false teaching, um, and just let it be solely your word that speaks for what it is uh, this morning. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you have for us, and, and pray to just lay all aside and hear clearly the word of truth this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now this passage, as you can maybe tell, um, breaks down kind of into two parts or two main chunks. Uh, The first is verses 12 through 18, which is what we're going to look at primarily, Uh, and then verses 19 through 30, um, which is, you know, a little longer chunk that kind of gives updates of of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And uh, the reason we're only going to look at verses 12 through 18 isn't because we're trying to avoid the other scripture um, but really, verse, the, the first chunk is essentially a command. Paul is giving a command, and then the second chunk is he's uh, sharing an update of two individuals who um, are examples of those who are upholding and living out said command. And so what I want to encourage us to do as we dive deeply into verses 12 through 18 is on your own uh, over the next week, uh, as you go into Bible groups next week, um, take some time to read those verses, um, verses 19 and on, um, as an example of what it looks like, what we're going to talk about um, today. But we are going to look mostly at, really entirely, at that first section, um, which fortunately for us isn't just a command. It's not just a do this, right? And then we just kind of figure it out, right? It is a uh, command, right? It's telling us what to do. It is also a, it, it's, it provides reasoning or the, the why we do it. 
Um, it's also instruction, you know, how we do it. And then lastly, it also shows us the fruit, uh, what happens when we do it. So the Bible here, in, in just these few short verses, it's telling us what to do, why to do it, uh, how to do it, and what happens when we do it. And those are essentially the four uh, points for today's message. Um, but starting with the command. Starting with the command, which is found in verse 12. He says, I'll read it again, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As you have always obeyed. That's an interesting way to, to share and to start a command. And, and really, it kind of prompts the question, uh, why is he commanding them something that they've seemingly already been obeying, or all, that they've always seemed to have been obeying? Um, and really, twofold. One, uh, we need the reminder, right? Even if they have been doing it, we, we need the continual reminder, because none of us, no matter how mature we are in our faith, are, are, are free from the possible uh, temptations or the sin that so easily entangles um, Hebrews chapter 12. And so, um, so one, just a reminder, right, that, that you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling um, just as you are also doing. But also, he gives us another kind of reasoning for, for giving this particular command uh, beyond just a reminder of something they already know. And it's found in verse um, 15 of our text. It says, so that you may be blameless and pure, he says, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverse generation. Right? And so their obedience might be continual, it might be steadfast, it might be uh, unwavering. However, the world is getting worse. Right? The world is becoming more perverse, it's becoming more wicked. Right? And so, so even though the command is the same, right, their ability or the, the, the temptations that they might face might make it more difficult to obey the command. They might be more enticed by the things of the world because the world is becoming more evil and more wicked, which we'll get to when we get fully to verse 15. But, but here, they are obeying. He's giving the reminder, but also in light of the wickedness of the world. And then he gets to where the actual command is, which is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only if I'm here or not here, the command to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and I want to point out a couple of things. One, he says your own salvation. Right? It, it is not the, the church's salvation through you. Right? You're not saved because you go to a good church. It's not your, your parents' salvation because they had faith and you're their kids. It is your own salvation. Right? Your knowledge of who Christ Jesus is, what he has done for you, your own full and total surrender to that truth uh, putting your own will aside and accepting the will of God for your life, it, it is personal, right? It is individual. Um, but then secondly, I want to point out, and we've discussed this many times before as a church, but um, it's also important to note the kind of the, the tenses of salvation is the way I like to say it. Because here he's talking about salvation as if it's something that you, you, you work at or you work out. He says you work out your salvation. And and, and, and Christianity is not a works-based religion, right? We don't earn salvation by working, and so what does he mean here? All right, so it's helpful to know the, the tenses of salvation. And, and so the first tense is past tense, right? Like you, for those who are following Jesus, it would be right to say, uh, I have been saved, right? That I, I am saved, um, and I have been saved um, in the past tense. And the, the biblical word for that, or the theological word for that, would be justification, right? You, you have been justified. It's, 
it's happened, right? When your sins have been imputed onto Christ, Christ's righteousness has been imputed onto you, it's, it's, it's done, it's cemented, you have assurance, you, you know that you're, you're, you're headed to eternity one day, it's, it's, it's done, it's happened, right? Uh, that would be the, the past tense salvation. You also have present tense, which is really, primarily, we, we see it uh, listed pretty directly here, right? To, to work out your own salvation, meaning it's, it's I am being saved, right? You're continuing to be saved even as you live your life now. You're working it out. It's being evidenced in your life. Um, so present tense salvation. Then future tense, right? Which the biblical word for that would be, uh, or theological, would be glorification, right? The day that you will, you will be saved, right? Well, Christ will return um, and, and you will be uh, taken up with him to live amongst his, his, his new heaven and new earth uh, as, a, as a totally new creation, free from the temptations of sin forever. And so you have justification, you have sanctification, which is the present tense, and then you have glorification, which is the future tense. And here, he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about the the, the present tense. And and here's why this is so important. Um, And this shouldn't go, this shouldn't need to even be said, but unfortunately I think it does, that that the, the middle part is almost the most important part. Right, because it's the, it's the evidence. It's the evidence that you were justified. Right? It's the confidence that you will be glorified. It's, it's the what's happening now. Right? Imagine this. I've got this little uh, mic thing that's hooked up here and it's got batteries. And there's been times over the years where um, I've forgotten to check batteries and, and I'll come up here and I'll turn it on and nothing will happen. Right? And so you would say that's not, it's not working. Right? It doesn't work. It won't work because there's nothing in it to power it. Right, but then you say, okay, let's, let's get some batteries. Right? You go grab the batteries, you stick it in there, you turn it on, it doesn't work. Right? Would you, would you wouldn't say that it works, right? You wouldn't say that the, the change did anything. Um, the, the way you know that it's working is that it's working. The way you know the batteries were good, that the, 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 the act of changing the batteries in the past tense, that it, that it worked, is that it, it's working now. Right? And, and I think what happens sometimes is in our faith, we, we say, yes, I've been, I've been saved. Right? Yet there's, our, our life's not working. Right? It's not, nothing's actually happened. Scripture says that, that our hearts were hearts of stone and that they've been replaced with hearts of flesh. It says that our, our, our old clothing has been removed and we've put on the new clothing. Right? It says that we were dead in our trespasses and we've been made alive in Christ. Right? There's this thing that happens Right? When you understand the goodness of the gospel and surrender your life to it, and when that happens, your life changes. Right? And so we can't just say that, that, yeah, I replaced the batteries, but we're still not working. We're still not on. We're not living. And, and the reality is it's, it's not even just that it turns on. right? Because in this example, uh, what if I put the batteries in and there's just a loud screech coming through? Right? We wouldn't say that works. Right? It works according to the purpose of its design. Right? And the purpose of our design is not to just, it's not just to sit in a pew. Right? It's not just to kind of legalistically go through motions. But it's for every aspect of our life to be surrendered to the will of God. Right? And so, the, so this, this present tense salvation is, is showing us, right? and again, not by our own doing or not by our own efforts, but it's, it's what's revealing the fact that we have been justified. Right? And, and by God's goodness, uh, it allows us to start the process of getting to know him, right? The, the ongoing process of laying down sin and, and, and becoming holy or being, being conformed to his image. The, the renewing and transforming of our mind to be like 
Jesus. And so when it says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that is what it means. Right? And when it says with fear and trembling, it's as if that's the only option. Right? When it says fear and trembling, it's not so much saying that you're afraid of God as it is saying that you're afraid of being without God. Because you know the, 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 all, the, the, the powerful, the, the, the awe-inspiring God of the universe has created all things that is totally good, totally just, that has the, the, the righteousness and holiness and, and, and the ability to carry out justice over you and I. And we are so futile and, and sinful and that without him we have zero hope. And so we approach him with fear and trembling, again, not because we're afraid of his presence, but we're afraid of the possibility of being without his presence. And so we live the life of sanctification, working out our salvation every single day, desiring to know him, to to move towards him, and to move away from that which is sinful. So this is the command that Paul is, is sharing with them. But again, fortunately, he doesn't just Stop. All right, what have we been commanded to, to work out our salvation? But, but why? In the next three verses, we see three different reasons for why he gives us, why we need to work out our salvation. Verse 13, just the next verse down, it says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And Paul sort of does a play on words here, which, which I just appreciate, that, that even in Scripture, the divinely inspired by God, there's word play. Um, but he's almost saying that, that you work out your salvation because God has worked it in you already. Right? The salvation has been worked in you, therefore you now work, it's been worked in, now you work it out. He didn't just do a work for you once, but he does a work in you forever. It is literally, church, the, the gift that keeps on giving. It didn't just happen, you received it, and you said thank you and went back to doing your own thing, but it continues to reveal himself. He continues to mold you to to be like him, to be less sinful, less worldly, to hate hate more strongly the things of the world, but to love more strongly the things that are from above. And it's according to his good purpose, not our own. So we don't have to even fear uh, how or why it's being done because because he is the one that is giving the direction for it. And so, so why do we work out our salvation? Because God has already done a work in us. Verse 14, going down once more, he says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. This sounds kind of like a command as well, and, and it is. It is a command. Don't, don't argue, don't grumble within the church. Uh, but, but it's inevitable um, when our focus is on the working out of our salvation. Right? The, the communal, together, church pursuit of salvation. Again, individually, uh, your own salvation. As you work that out alongside one another and hold one another accountable, there's no room for grumbling or arguing anymore. Right? Because your eyes are on the thing that unites in the ultimate and eternal sense. Right? What I mean by that is that, that if, if you've connected on the gospel, right, the, 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 the joy and how that connects and unites is so far greater than some of the minor disagreements that we often allow to divide. And it's not, that, it's not to say that there aren't some disagreements that, that, that should form different local churches, right? But the, but the arguing and the grumbling and the animosity and the, 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 the thing, they all get fueled um, by selfish ambition, by um, arrogance and narcissism. Um, it's missing the point because when we work out our own salvation, what we're saying is that, that it's not about me, it's about, 
It's about him, right, and what he's done. And when we unite on what he's done, right, and, and things that are salvific issues, right, the, 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 the deity of, of Jesus, right, the, the sufficiency of Scripture, right, then, then there is no room for division, right? How could we possibly argue about the, the small things when God's done the big things for all? And we agree upon them. And so why do we work out our salvation? Because, it's, because God's done a work in us and because it leads to unity within God's church. It leads to unity within God's church. And then verse 15 gives us our third reason. It says, So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless Right? Sanctification means to, to be made uh, holy or to be made blameless and pure, as it's said there in verse uh, 15, or, or, or more commonly, it even means to be set apart. Right? But, but that leads with the question, to be set apart from what? Or to be blameless or pure from what? Right? And he tells us, it says, in a crooked and perverted generation. Here's the thing, church. I think sometimes we don't realize how depraved and, and sinful and wicked our world has become. I think that we've become numb to things because they just happen and we see them so often. You know, yet when we read stories in the Old Testament, like, so, like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, we just read this with, with our one-year-old, and, 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 and the way that Scripture describes the, the atrocities against God that were being performed, we read that and think, man, that must have been bad. All the while, here in our society today, millions of babies murdered daily, yearly. We see all sorts of, of, of bad, deep idolatry against the holy God. Scripture says that, that we are, are God-haters, and, and it is evident in our world today. And so we must look different we must be set apart, right? As, as the world continues to get worse and we continue to seek the holiness of God, the, the chasm between is going to get so wide that you couldn't possibly walk outside or have a conversation without it becoming obvious who it is that you serve versus who it is that they serve, right? We live in a world and a society where there's no more moral truth. Everything's subjective. Everything's personal truth. You're you're forced to affirm all beliefs and everything anyone says for fear of, of in, in some countries, imprisonment um, or, or, or social rejection. Our, our world is becoming more and more evil. And so our need, as I said, even when we talked about the fact that Paul was giving a command when they're already obeying, is, is, is only going to become more great for us to follow and live out this biblical command. Crooked and perverted generation... But it says, notice, among whom you shine like stars in the world, the walking out of our sanctification stands out in a broken world in such a way that it is attractive to the world. Not because we do worldly things better than the world does worldly things, and that's attractive, right? but because we do Bible things. We follow God's word. And when the world around us goes crazy, right, we, we stand firm in what is true, and it ends up being attractive to the world. It doesn't mean we, we, we go and get the, the latest and greatest uh, attraction-based entertainment stuff that's going to draw people the way the world does. No, we draw people through the Word of God. It is attractive all on its own. Right? It will offend 
because it is, is in direct opposition against the things of the world, but ultimately it is the greatest joy. And we will thus live with the greatest joy, which is the very thing that's attractive. And so even though the world is, is evil, God uses our, our sanctification, He uses our, our working out of our salvation to draw others to His own sake. And so why do we work out our salvation? Because it sets us apart from a broken world as an example of God's holiness. And so our command is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We do it because of the work God has done in us. We do it because of the unity it leads to within God's church. And we do so because it, it separates us and, 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 and we stand out or we're set apart from the world in a way that, that draws them to want to know the name of Jesus as well. Which then now leads us to, okay, well, how do we do this? Right? Hopefully you've, you've understood the what, and you're, okay, I got the command. Hopefully you got the why, and you're, you're saying, okay, I, I, I understand why I'm doing it. But now the logical question is how? Okay, how do I do that? How do I work out my salvation? And, and luckily and fortunately for us, Paul gives it the, most, the, the shortest of all the chunks we're going to look at today. In, in the first half of verse 16, he says, By holding firm to the word of life. How do we work out our salvation? By holding firm to the word of life. Holding firm to the word of life. Do we do that? Do we do that, church? I think that some of us hold more firmly to a particular Netflix series. I think some of us hold more firmly to our bank accounts and our monies, to our social media accounts, to our our personal comforts, to our health, to our jobs, to our status, than we do to the Word of God. And here's the problem. It's not that you shouldn't have a job. It's not that you're not allowed to watch a show. Uh, it's not that you're not allowed to have monies or a bank account. It's that, that when you hold more firmly to those things in Scripture, you're, 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 you're losing out on the benefit of holding firm to the Word of God, which Paul says is life. He calls it the word of life, right? None of those things are the source of life. You won't find it in entertainment. You won't find it in money. You won't. All those things lead to the same place, which is an eternity apart from God. If that's where you find your soul, where you're holding firm to solely, right? But we hold firm to the word of God or the word of life, which offers life. And so, so, so where do we find it? We find it in God's word. Church, you want inspiration? You don't, you don't need inspirational quotes. You need God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. You want to experience Jesus? God's Word, John 1, verse 1 and 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So, we, so that we could observe His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do we want something that lasts? You're not going to find it in a, in a 401k or, or, or a memory or even, even family for that matter. You're going to find it in God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. You want something powerful. It's not, it's not authority. It's not job. It's not status. It's not, it's not appearance. It is God's word, Psalm 33, verse 6, the heavens are made by the word of the Lord, and all the heavens, or in all the stars, rather, by the breath 
of his mouth. You want something that's true? God's word, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You want something that's better than food? Psalm 119, 103, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. You want direction for your life? God's word, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Do you want something that yields uh, great investment or return on investment? God's word, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. You want something that protects God's word. You don't need the, the latest, greatest security system for ultimate protection. We just need God's word. Psalm 119, 11, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Protects us from the evil one. You want something that saves God's word. James 1, 21. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Church, I don't know how else to say it. There is no other source of life than this book. Yet for some reason, we are so tempted to find it elsewhere. I heard a preacher recently um, asked, and he's a pretty renowned preacher, asked, how do you stay committed and and disciplined in in reading God's word? And and the first encouragement that I think is encouraging for all of us is he said, it's a fight. And this is someone who, I mean, he knows the Bible. He's been preaching for for forever, and he's still saying, and he's into his 70s, and he's still saying it is a fight for him to do so. But he gave an analogy. He told about how he, um, he, he once was, he had a really bad heart. It was either a heart attack or a stroke, and it ended up putting him into a coma. Um, and he shares a story about how when he woke up, I think it was after like a week, um, he took his first breath after being in a coma for an extended period of time. And he said it was, it was excruciating. He said, he said you could not even imagine how painful it was for him to breathe. Um, but then he said, what was the alternative? Right? He, he, he breathed or he died. Those were his only options. Right? So when we, when we talk about God's word, we, we read it, or we, what's the opposite of life? If the, if the Bible is the word of life, what's the opposite? Death. We experience death in our sin. We experience death in our life apart from it. And so our motivation is that without it, we have no life. So to this point, I ask you, are you holding firm to the word of God or to the things of this world? Before you're too quick to give the answer that you know is the right church answer, let me give some examples from which you may relate. We may relate. Are you more likely to miss dinner or miss time in the word? Do you spend more time planning for, budgeting, strategizing, and enjoying vacations and trips than you do for Scripture? Are you more committed and faithful to FaceTime, text, call, and spend time with loved ones than you are time in the Word? Are you more likely to miss a day of work or a day in the Word? Do you spend more time on social media or watching TV than you do in God's Word? Let me ask him again in a different way. If you didn't eat until you read the Word, how many meals would you miss? If you didn't vacation until you've memorized 10 verses, 
How many years would you have not gone on vacation? If you didn't talk to your spouse or kids until you've spent time in the Word, what would your relationship with them look like? Would it be quiet and distant? Or would it be close and loving? If you didn't go to work until you've read the Bible, how many times would you have been late? How many, time, how many jobs would you have lost? If you only spent as much time on social media or watching TV as you did in God's Word, how much time would you spend engaging in them? I read recently the average American spend four, spends four hours watching TV a day, per day. Um, if 30 minutes in the thing that provides life is too much to ask. I remember one of my friends in college um, who, before I give this story, he impacted me early on in my faith more than maybe anybody else. Um, and so I'm only throwing him under the bus to the extent that uh, you know, he, he, he has helped and grown me in my own walk. But um, when I moved to Jackson or to Florida, uh, we stayed and kept each other accountable and, or attempted to. And, and I remember I asked him, you know, how is your... How has your life been in the Word? Have you been in the Word? And he's like, honestly, man, I haven't. Um, he was going to school at the time. He was working, paying his own way um, for school and, and, and living on his own and just really grinding it out. And he said, honestly, man, I just don't have time. You know, school has been crazy. Um, jobs have been crazy. And, and so I asked him. I said, look, I'm not trying to minimize. Like, I was, going, I was just going to school at a Christian school. Like, it was definitely had more things, more guardrails in my life than he did in his. So I wasn't trying to, to be too harsh. But, but I asked him, I said, what, what, would be the, what would be the consequence, worst case consequence, if you don't turn in an assignment before you read the, read the word? And, and say you miss a bunch. Right? Worst case, flunk out. Right? No more college. Right? What, what's the worst case scenario if, if you miss a day of work or you, you take off or, or, or lessen your load? And it's, well, Lose my job, lose my apartment. I was like, okay. I was like, those are, I mean, those are pretty big consequences, right? Those aren't small things, and I don't want to minimize that at all. But then I asked him, what's, what's the consequence of, of, of not being in God's word? And, and until we believe that consequence is greater than any other obligation we have, we're never going to be properly motivated to stand firm, to hold firm to God's word. And so that's my challenge. That's not even, that's not my, that's, that's, that's Paul's challenge. Again, that's the, that's the how. How do, we, how do we work out our salvation? By holding firm to the word of God above anything else in your life. And again, like the pastor I mentioned, it's a fight. It's hard. I'm not standing here saying it's easy. But that's why we, we do it together. We do it in community. He's writing to a church. Yes, it's your own salvation that you're working out, but you do it alongside one another. And so ask, have accountability, read, along, read a plan alongside somebody else, right? The same way you, you plan and strategize about your groceries and follow recipes, right? It's okay to, to plan and find a strategy for how you're going to read the Bible, who you're going to read it with, looking at you know, commentaries or, or recipes that help you learn and explain that that's, that's, that's what we should be doing. The holding firm to the word of life. And then Paul blesses us with the, the, the fruit. What happens when we do this? Right? What happens when we, when we stand firm in the word, right, because of the command to, to, or, or in order to obey the command of living out our salvation? And in the next three verses, we see three different reasons. 
Um, first, we see the fruit, or first in verse 16, the second half of what we just read. So we read 16a, so 16b. He says, Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Church, he, let me read that again. He says, Then, right? Then, assuming you've done this, right? assuming you've done the how, assuming you've obeyed the command, then I can, I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. And, and so what's the fruit here of working our salvation? It's, it's, it's appropriate confidence and purpose of life. Because here's the thing, is, is if God had created it in such a way that, that it was just justification and glorification, that would mean at the moment that you've given your life to Jesus, your life here on this earth just has no value, has no meaning. You're not, it's not really serving any purpose. Right? And so what he's saying is that, is that it, it's, it's, I didn't run, I didn't labor, I didn't, I didn't work out my salvation, I didn't do it for nothing. Right? It had purpose, and he's confident in that truth. And so if you want meaning and purpose in your life, you can't, you can't find it apart from standing firm and holding firm to Scripture. And growing in your faith. Otherwise, and I think we sometimes treat it this way, where it's just the gospel is just this transactional punch card where we've received it, we, we punch our spot, and, and then we just go back to life waiting for the day he calls us home. It's like the restaurants where you get the pager. You, you accept it and you just go and, and you just wait for him to call you. Right? Doing whatever you want to do. Right? And we treat the gospel that way. But luckily, God's not wasted our life. We just talked about that at the end of chapter 1, that, that the purpose our life has is to, 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 to glorify, to continue to be used by God, and to grow in knowledge of Him. And so the fruit of working our salvation, firstly, it gives us appropriate confidence, and it gives us purposeful life. And moving down again, next verse, verse 17, it says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Here's the thing, even though our life has purpose and has meaning now, right? It's not, it's not, it's not futile, right? He's given it purpose and value. He's using us as he sanctifies us to be a light in the world of darkness. Right? Even though that's true, what it also means is that no matter what happens, what bad, what evil, what dark thing we may face, right, we can remain steadfast with supernatural peace. And that's the second reason. We can, the fruit of working out our salvation is that we have supernatural peace. Right? We can face anything because God is doing a work in us, and we know this by the evidence of His Spirit sanctifying us daily. He gives us peace that even as we walk through hard things, it must just serve the purpose, serve God's purpose of sanctifying us. Otherwise, when we go through hard things, they're just hard things. But because God has constructed it in such a way that we continue to draw closer to Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the process of sanctification, being made holy, we can find joy in all things. All things. Which leads right into the last thing we see, verse 18. In the, in the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. All of this ultimately leads to rejoicing. You should also be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoicing, church, that we know God. He's allowed us to begin knowing him now. 
you realize, church, that we, we did a, for those of you that remember, we did a study um, on, uh, we did a study on eternity, you know, on heaven and hell recently, and, and, and what the end times are going to look like, and, and one of the things I learned um, in my study is that, um, in, in looking at the attributes of who God is, God is, God is unknowable, in the sense that we could never know him fully. Right? He's freely knowable in the sense that we can, we can know him, um, but in, in order to know him fully would mean to know all of him, um, which would mean to be on level with God, which we will never be, right? even, even in eternity. Right? We will, the, the joy of eternity is that we are set on a trajectory where we will continue to get to know God forever. And while we're continuing to get to know God forever, we'll be free from any, any struggle or temptation or anything that might get in our way of doing that, which now are the things that we face, right? But here's the thing, is, is that that's, if that's what eternity is, God has already allowed us to participate in the advancement or the advancing of our knowing of him. Right? And so we rejoice. He has already, he's allowed us to start now. In, in growing in our knowledge of him. And here's the thing is if we don't enjoy it now, we're not going to enjoy it because that's what eternity is. Right? If we don't enjoy this now, which is, which is the life, it's the, 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 the knowledge of who God is, then, then we're not going to enjoy him. And so, so on this earth, we get, he's, he's afforded us, he's gifted and granted us the, the privilege of, of having this book, which is his presence, to start knowing him now, which we will continue to do for all of eternity. We rejoice in it. And so church, we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And we do so because God has done a work in us. He's taken our heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh. We're different now. We've been given new life. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we've been made alive in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. Right, that we, we, he's, we've taken off the old clothes, put on the new However analogy Scripture gives, we are new. Right, but we also do it for the unity that we get to have together that is supernatural. That the world that is more divisive now than ever looks at the church and is like, man, how in the world are they unified? Because yeah, we have one central focus that is all unifying. And then we also do it because it which then thus sets us apart from the evil and wicked world. All of which we do by holding firm to the word above anything else in your life. If there's anything in your life, whether it's an okay thing or not, that is getting in the way of you holding firm to the word, it is literally separating you from life in Jesus. And what I would say is for most cases, it's really just that we can do both and we don't. But if it is truly impossible for you to hold firm to this because of the way your life is structured, then whatever that thing is must go, however hard it might be, because the consequence of losing a job is not nearly as severe as the consequence of, of holding loosely to Scripture. The consequence of a, of a broken dating relationship is not nearly as severe as the consequence of holding loosely to Scripture. And the list goes on and on. And again, we do this with joy, with joy and purpose and peace 
as we await our Savior's return. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I want to pray. And I want to pray that if you've never heard the gospel this way, if you've never heard the fullness of the gospel, we want to invite you to respond. Um, if, you accepted, if you accepted or received a gospel that was just a transactional punch card gospel where you gave your faith to Jesus, but then there, were, there was zero anything afterwards, um, we want you to know the fullness of the joy that starts now. Not that you just have to, uh, you know, legalistically become a Bible Christian robot that, you know, only sits in the corner and reads your Bible all day, but you get to joyfully get to know God through his word and live it out as a light in this world and share it with those who are lost around you. And so if you never accepted the gospel that leads to that, uh, then you never accepted the gospel. And I want to invite you to accept it this morning. Uh, I'll be at the front. I would love to pray with you. Um, and if you are a Christian, which is really who Paul was writing to here, um, and again, he was writing to those who are already obeying, and so if you're in here and you're genuinely thinking, I am holding firm, be encouraged. Continue to hold firm. Know that it's going to get harder because the world is going to get crazier. But we stand firm, we hold firm together, and joyfully, with peace and purpose in our hearts, await Christ's return together. And so with that, I invite you to respond wherever you might be this morning. Um, and we'll sing and respond together. Let's pray.